Well, good morning again, and welcome to Trinity. We are delighted to be able to gather together and to be encouraged uh, by song and prayer and communion, encouraged toward greater fellowship together in our own homes or marriages, but also together as a church community. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 26. This is week two of our Advent series on peace. It seems very fitting for us this year to focus our heads and our hearts on peace, and specifically the the kind of peace that the Lord himself will bring. As we are turning to Isaiah 26, I want us to be encouraged to know that what we're going to be considering this morning is how God keeps us in perfect peace. In the midst of all the things that we might experience in life, or are currently experiencing in life, peace can feel very elusive. And so let us turn our attention to the God of all peace, who keeps us in perfect peace. We're going to consider the first four verses together this morning of Isaiah 26. We're really going to ultimately end up zeroing in on verse 3, but we wanted to get a little of the context of what we're looking at together. Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 4. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Now, there are many things that might pull or be pulling at our heads and our hearts this morning. Pulling us away from being stayed on you. Asking us to not trust you, but to trust something else. God, I pray that you would help us to see your comfort, your power, your grace, your mercy, your kindness to us in these words. And that would encourage our hearts all the more to trust you, to stay on you. Oh God, you are the God of perfect peace. And I pray that we would not seek to find that elsewhere, but only in you. So be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, Advent simply means arrival. The word Advent, it means arrival. But the arrival of Advent implies some sort of longing, some sort of waiting. Not so much like the anticipation of a kid as December hits the days in the 20s. You know that feeling? When December 20 hits, that longing for Christmas morning is inching ever so closer. I I still have a little bit of that longing. It's not so much that kind of longing. It's more like the waiting and longing of someone out in the wilderness, in a place where it feels like always winter but never Christmas, where there's pain and the hope as we wait for the hope to arrive. In the poem, In the Bleak Midwinter, the author gets at this longing in her opening stanza. In the Bleak Midwinter, Frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron water like a stone. 
Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Bleak, cold, winter, when days are dark, heavy clouds hang close, and emptiness chills the air. Imagery that feels like it's desolate, it's uninhabitable. Longing in the bleak midwinter can give way to despair, because the sun the warmth of the sun is hidden behind those heavy clouds. And it doesn't feel like you can keep going in such conditions. And if that sounds like you, then there is some good news this morning. That you can experience the rest of peace, even in the bleak midwinter. And the good news is this. God keeps his people God keeps his people. No matter what, God keeps his people. He keeps them in perfect peace. And perfect peace helps us understand that just that, number one, no matter what, the Lord keeps you. Perfect peace is no matter what, the Lord keeps you. And then secondly, perfect peace is through whatever, Rest in Him. No matter what, the Lord keeps you. And through whatever, rest in Him. Let's consider that together this morning. First, no matter what, the Lord keeps you. And that keeping of you is both a keeps from by keeping in. It is a keeping from by keeping in. It's both of those dynamics that are at play when the Bible says the Lord keeps you. The first three words of 23 is, you keep him. And that first aspect is they, that God keeps from, keeps us from, guards us from danger. The context in Isaiah 26 is Similar to the context of what we considered last week in the Exodus. In the Exodus, you had the out of Egypt, but not in the promised land wilderness. And here in Isaiah, it's not Exodus, it's exile. It's the, the threat of being removed from that land and living in exile. The chapters leading into 26 paint this overwhelming picture. Isaiah 24 is the overwhelming and comprehensive judgment that's leveled on all of the cosmos. There is nothing that is going to be untouched. It is a sweeping, categorical judgment that's poured out on all of creation everywhere. I mean, these words, there's, it's unmistakable. Isaiah 24 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. That's... That's a scary, terrifying image. Verse 19 of Isaiah 24 says, The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. That feels kind of bleak. But then just as we see in the Old Testament prophets section of the Bible, which can be difficult to read, Sometimes the imagery and the, the contexts are, are very far from our day and age, so it's hard for us to fully grasp what might be going on. But principally, in the Old Testament prophets, there's, 
the leveling of judgment, but also the promise of redemptive reversal of that judgment, of a restoration. There's judgment and restoration in the Old Testament prophets. And so Isaiah 25 serves as the promise of a redemptive reversal for God's people, that is, for those who trust in Him. So Isaiah 24 is this uninhabitable, desolate wilderness and, and chaos. And then verse, in chapter 25 is a reversal, a restoration. Margot read these words as we were getting ready to sing, Come behold the wondrous mystery. Isaiah 25, verses 7 through 9. Listen to these words of hope. In the midst of such bewildering wilderness. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. They're waiting in the midst of painful circumstances for the advent of their hope of their salvation. And then we get to Isaiah 26. And it is a call to respond to both the reality of judgment, but also the future restoration. Notice in verse 1 of Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. First of all, in that day. What day? Well, it refers to when God brings about the sweeping end of history. When judgment and restoration are poured out. It's referring to the day of Isaiah 24 and Isaiah 25. Old Testament prophecy was... Interesting, too, because it sort of had a collapsed view of the things that would come to be. It didn't, the Old Testament prophets didn't necessarily see the time gaps in between how God would fulfill those promises, just sort of got a kaleidoscope of them all at once and just delivered them as instructed. And so they're looking down the corridors of time and they're anticipating the things that we celebrate in Advent in Advent season, in the birth of Christ, but also in his death on the cross, but also in his resurrection, but also in his return and restoration. It kind of gets a kaleidoscope of all of those colors all at once and says, this is your hope, people. And here, Isaiah is saying in that day, there will be a song. Think about that for a second. The song is to be sung. We just considered something that was devastating. The overwhelming devastation of all of the cosmos as God pours out his judgment upon sin. And yet at the same time, we just read hope-giving news. In all of it, both the sweeping devastation and the ultimate restoration, all of it is to lead God's people to sing. God is worthy to be praised. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting to be called to sing even in days that feel like bleak midwinter? I mean, New England knows the bleak midwinter. I mean, six months of the year are bleak midwinter. But what does this teach our hearts? 
We're called to sing. In the days of sorrow, we're called to sing. In the days of pain, we're called to sing. In the days of waiting and longing and hoping, we're called to sing. Even when we ache, we're called to sing. Well, there are a number of things that I think it might teach our hearts, and there might be a number of things you might think about, and maybe share those at lunch with whoever you're with. I think some of the things that it teaches us is that maybe chasing ideal circumstances in this life is the wrong perspective and is only setting us up to have hearts that are disappointed or overwhelmingly distracted. I think it also teaches us that hard situations won't last forever. That there is a great day coming, and that day may not be till the end of your days, but there is still yet a great day to anticipate. The hard won't last forever. So keep your head up. See the thing that's greater than the hardship that you are facing. The God who made such a promise and faithful to see it all the way through. I think thirdly, the call to sing, even in these kinds of hard bleak midwinter days is it teaches our hearts that God is sovereign and that makes all the difference to know that God is greater than our circumstances and that even if we were to bottle up all of the circumstances we are facing and and press them in all together and shake them like a coke can in the hand of a toddler and it's not too difficult for God he's still greater and worthy to be followed, praised with our lives, even if we feel like our days are bleak midwinter. God keeps us from the devastation of sin. And he does that keeping from by also keeping in, simultaneously. God is doing both at the same time, keeping us from and keeping us in. The other aspect of the word keep means to preserve, to keep in something. And what is God keeping us in? Well, we are being kept for a future glory, a future hope, a future presence with God forever. It's not just keeping from something, but it's also keeping for something. And that is for the joy of our salvation. Look again at verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 26. And that day the song will be sung in the land of Judah. What song? We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Salvation here is visualized as a strong city with open gates. That's a very important detail, open gates. Gates are closed and in this day and age, a gate represented safety and security and protection from those outside of the city that might be threats to the city. And what God's going to set up that will last forever doesn't require the gates to ever be closed because there are no more threats. There are no more threats. You will have the ability to live with freedom and security. There will be perfect peace because that is what God will do. Later in Isaiah, Isaiah 60 verse 18, it, it expands upon why those gates can be open. And says, violence shall be no more heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your wall salvation and your gates praise. Furthermore, those who get to move freely about this strong city are those who trust 
the God who keeps us in perfect peace. Essentially, you could say the gates are open by grace through faith. And there is life and perfect peace within. Why? Well, this is because of a divine love and a divine grace and a divine affection that God has for his people. He keeps us from danger and keeps us for salvation because he loves us with an affectionate grace. And maybe you need to hear that this morning because you look around in your life and you feel all of the sharp edges of this world in this broken life, in this broken world, and you've experienced multi-levels of brokenness, some caused by yourself, some caused by others, and you're here and you feel weary and worn down and you feel tired. And you might think, I, I, I love the idea of perfect peace. I love the idea of a God who would bring us about into perfect peace and keep us in perfect peace. And yet you wrestle. I want to say to you this morning, no matter what may mark your past, no matter what may mark your present, no matter what may mark your days ahead, God keeps you from and God keeps you in because of his divine love and his affectionate grace for you. No matter what, No matter what wilderness, no matter the bleak midwinter, none of those are too much. And he is not miserly in his affection for you. He's not keeping you out of obligation or duty, but out of gracious, affectionate love. I love Psalm 40 verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Why is he keeping? Because he's got an overabundance of steadfast love and faithfulness for you. And no wilderness and no bleak midwinter is too much for his pursuit of you. In Moses' final instructions to the people before his death, Deuteronomy 32, he says, this paints this picture about the character of God in relation to his people. Deuteronomy 32, verse 10, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. No matter what, the Lord keeps you because the Lord has affectionate grace for you. You'll hear lots of words and attitudes and tones and bickering, conflict, chaos in this world. Let the word of God speak to you something greater, something better. He keeps you as the apple of his eye. So no matter what, the Lord keeps you. And through whatever, our response to that is to rest in him. This Advent season is really the the time that we get to settle our heads and hearts on what arrived in the birth of Christ. And among our focus that we are taking this year is on peace. And so... 
through whatever, rest in him. And, and what I mean by that is lean into the perfect peace that God has supplied. Lean into this perfect peace. Let's look again more intently at verse 3. The very first line of verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace. You keep him in perfect peace. Maybe some of you remember, maybe they're still doing it. I, I'm not entirely sure if they are, but I bet they would be because it's so associated with them. But Little Caesar's Pizza, the little expression, pizza, pizza, you know, the little guy running around saying pizza, pizza. Well, actually, I think they stole the idea from here because it's really peace, peace. There's no actual word perfect here. It's actually peace, peace. And the emphatic repetition is really to draw out our attention to the completeness and the comprehensiveness and the total welfare of peace that the Lord is keeping his people in. The English translation here says perfect peace, trying to convey that instead of just putting peace, peace, where you would circle it. And some of you are editors by heart. And you look at that and you think, oh, the editor here messed up and missed this little typo or like this word repeat. But actually, perfect peace is to help reinforce the idea that this is complete and sound and comprehensive and total, the kind of welfare that will never end the peace, peace kind. There's a number of things about this peace, peace kind of peace that the Lord of peace is bringing to us. Don't ask me to do that again. (laughs) First of all, it says... Here to us, it originates in God. This depth and magnitude of peace that God is keeping his people in originates in him. It's important. It it is this, that he is at perfect peace in and of himself always. And God needs nothing outside of him to bring him peace. He is peace. So the peace that God is bringing to his people is the peace that God is in and of himself. Originates in God. Secondly, this kind of peace, peace, it overcomes all obstacles to peace. So nothing outside of God is needed for him to have peace. And nothing outside of God can prevent or disrupt his peace nor the peace that he invites us in. So comprehensive is this. So it originates in God. It overcomes all obstacles. And then thirdly, it occupies our hearts. This kind of peace occupies our hearts. The aim of the keeping grace of God is our well-being. I mean, it's highlighted in the fact that it's a song that's supposed to be being sung. These are lyrics to to a song. Highlighting our well-being. So work this backwards in application to your own life right now. Ask yourself a series of questions. What occupies your heart right now? What occupies your heart right now? Is it worrying? Is it fretting? Is it apathy? Is it anger? It's not to say or to minimize those. Those can be very overwhelming feelings. I'm just asking you, what's occupying your heart right now? Secondly, can you, in and of yourself, overcome those things that are occupying your heart? Can you do it? Can you overcome them on your own, in your own strength? 
Thirdly, ask, what originates in you that can counter such weighty concerns? Hopefully those answers would lead you to see, I can't do that on my own. I don't have enough in and of myself. I need something bigger, something greater, something better. And then come back to this verse. And rehearse to your heart the truth. That God keeps his people in perfect peace. It originates in God. He overcomes all obstacles and he occupies our hearts. Through whatever, rest in him. Secondly, in our verse, we get to the second line of verse 3. Whose mind is stayed on you. Another way to say that is to rest your weary head. To rest your weary head. Stayed. I love this word. I wish the English translation would have brought it out a little bit more. But it means to lean onto, to lay upon, to, to rest in. Like a little kid in the lap of his or her parent. And, and not only that, the active form of the word, the same word means to uphold. Speaking of the parent, scooping down to pick up that little child and bring them in tightly into the arms. That same word means to uphold. Passively, it means to just collapse in, to rest in, to lay in. I mean, the imagery is unmistakably clear. You can't gain what only God has to give. And God scoops down into our lives and scoops us up and draws us in. And the call of response for you is to lay it all down and lean into him. Weary. Rest your weary head. I once heard the description of weary in this way. It means being fatigued due to continued exertion or endurance, sometimes also with a sense of being dismayed or even depressed. Its roots, as a word, have to do with the effects of a long journey. Is that you this morning? Are you here weary? Are you trying to do something or manage something that God in his tender mercy for you is simply calling you to lay down and lean into him? Psalm 3.5. Simple words. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. He's doing the upholding. You're doing the resting. It's a pretty good agreement. In fact, I'd say you probably aren't going to find a better one. And lastly, the last line, so not only are we looking at peace, peace, and not only are we called to rest our weary heads, but lastly, we are to throw it all down before him. The last line of verse 3, because he trusts in you. The word for trust has a vivid meaning, to throw oneself down before another. The idea of total surrender to the good graces of another. And so the response to the God who keeps us in perfect peace is that we would surrender our heart, surrender our trust, surrender our hope over to God. 
That this is the tantamount response to the perfect peace of God, to surrender it all, to trust Him with your heart, with your life, with your hurts, with your fears, with your hopes, with your prayers. And it's not about what you can do to gain perfect peace, but about trusting who God is and what God has done to bring about your perfect peace. Or as Psalm 62 calls us to do, trust in Him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him, God is a refuge for us. And just to reinforce the sufficiency of God to keep us in perfect peace, we know that the pages of Scripture unfold and progress to the greatest display of that, which we begin celebrating in the sense of his earthly life at the advent of Christ. The advent of Christ is the advent of perfect peace. Because in Christ, the means for this perfect peace arrives. I mean, think about his life, his death, and his one day, his return. And all that those things secure for us. First of all, there's the incarnation. Jesus enters into our bleak midwinter to bring about our perfect peace. In the cold and the dark of this life in this world. Christ enters in, bringing the warmth of God's light and life for us. It's hard not to think of John 1, in verses 4 and 5. In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later in John, Jesus said on his own lips what he came to do. In John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He has entered into the bleak midwinter to call us forth. He is not detached from our vulnerability and our weakness. He entered all the way in to bring us all the way out. And then think about his resurrection. What does his resurrection accomplish? Well, it fulfills those hope-giving words that we read in Isaiah 25. In his resurrection, Jesus swallows up all the obstacles to perfect peace. Can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 15, and maybe you did as well when we were reading Isaiah 25. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's perfect peace, the means of it arrives. And then one day we will know it in full measure when he returns and brings about this ultimate restoration where Jesus brings forth the experience of forever perfect peace. And in some ways, this Advent is leading us into our own Advent. We are waiting for that arrival of this great day in which we enter into the forever perfect peace that Jesus has secured for us. Revelation 21.4. It's a great undoing. It's a great redemptive reversal. It is a great restoration. For those of us who feel very much in the throes of a bleak midwinter in our lives, we anticipate, we long for, we are waiting for this day when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. Our call is to surrender it all, to surrender it all to Jesus, to find in him our perfect peace. Though you and I, we would see in Christ how God keeps us in perfect peace, and that we would lean into and onto him with all our hearts. The poem in the bleak midwinter ends with this sort of instruction. Considering the story of his birth as the poem unfolds, the last stanza says this, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. May this be true for us this day. May we come to know the perfect peace that God keeps his people in. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that work, that your tender mercy would be made evident and known to us and in our hearts, and that we would know it in increasing measure. We might be facing many things that pull very much against having peace in this life. We may feel the the darkness or the emptiness or the heaviness of a bleak midwinter right now. And I would pray that there would be a, a, a measure of your grace that would draw near and strengthen and encourage and build up and equip us to face difficult circumstances while we wait and long and anticipate the day in which death will be no more, tears will be wiped away, and joy and peace will be forever known. Strengthen us, we ask. Encourage us, we pray. Help us to know this peace. In Christ's name, amen.